All right, I want you to take your Bible tonight and turn to the first chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 tonight, we're going to notice verses 6 and down through verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through verse 8. Several years ago I was uh, privileged to go to the uh, uh, old Mexico down into the Yucatan Peninsula and uh, what we would do during the day was we would do construction projects and it was about a hundred degrees every day and we would be uh, hauling in uh, gravel and mixing concrete and hauling in the water by hand and, and, and doing work during the day like that and then at night we would go somewhere and, and I had the privilege of preaching to a bunch of folks and I would always uh, open my, my message to them something like this I am not here to represent the United States I am here to represent a higher kingdom and that is the kingdom of God and uh, I want to share with you a few things tonight about that as Jesus shared with his disciples and you'll notice beginning in verse 8 or verse 6 rather the Bible says therefore when they had come together they asked him saying Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel and he said to them it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now in Acts chapter 1, one of the things that we see is that Jesus had a 40-day post-resurrection ministry. When I was a kid, I used to think that Jesus rose from the grave and he immediately went back to the Father. But that's not what happened. For 40 days and 40 nights after the resurrection, Jesus had a ministry with his disciples. And verse 3 says that during that time, during that 40-day post-resurrection ministry, Jesus talked to his disciples about the kingdom of God. Now, it was important to Jesus to talk to his disciples about the kingdom of God. Uh, it had to be because, after all, he only had 40 days. If you only had 40 days left of your life, and you know that you had an opportunity to speak with people that you loved, what would you talk about? I don't think we'd talk about the weather, do you? I don't think we'd necessarily talk about the Dallas Cowboys. We probably wouldn't talk about uh, the economy. But we might share with our friends and our family all of our life experiences and hope that they would be able to take those with them as they lived after we, after we had passed on. Jesus here thought it was important to talk to his disciples about the kingdom of God. Now, I, I realize, and we realize that in one sense, that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom where Jesus is Lord. Do you remember that when Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate said, Are you a king? And Jesus said, Yes, but my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus said, If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight and there would be a war here and we'd win. But Jesus was talking and referring to a spiritual kingdom. As a matter of fact, in the book of Luke, Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within you. And whenever a person receives Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, 
He receives Jesus as a ward and becomes a part of Jesus' spiritual kingdom. If you're saved, Jesus is Lord, is he not? If you're saved, Jesus is your king, is he not? And he is coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. And therefore, we're all a part of the kingdom of God. His kingdom, where he rules and he reigns. But you know, Jesus also taught that that spiritual kingdom would one day become a reality. Do you remember one of the things that Jesus told us to pray? He told us to pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Jesus told us to pray because the concept of an earthly kingdom with the Messiah ruling and reigning was a concept that has been taught throughout the Old Testament and even brought down to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, those Jews believed that one day the Messiah would come and he would rule and reign from the throne of his father David and there would be a revival of Israel where Israel would take her place as the ruling nation of the earth. And those disciples of Jesus, they believe that. As a matter of fact, when you began to look at the Old Testament, Jesus has a kingdom that's going to come, and he is going to literally set up a revived Israel. That's one of the reasons Satan wants to kill all of the Jews he can, because if he can destroy all of the Jews on earth, he's destroyed the promise that God made to the Jewish people. Now folks, listen. Jesus' disciples longed for the day when Jesus would come and set up his kingdom and rule and reign. One of the reasons that they longed for that day was because they hoped to have positions within that kingdom. Have you noticed that whenever we get a new president, what happens? Government turns over, doesn't it? All of those folks that used to be in positions, they're out of work. And now all of the folks that want positions, they're bombarding the place, wanting to, 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 to have that powerful position. Have you ever noticed, why? and I've always wondered this, why does a person want a job that pays $200,000 a year and yet he'll pay $20 million for that job? It's not for the money. It's for that position of authority. It's for that position of power. And when Jesus talked about having a kingdom, his disciples wanted those positions of authority and they wanted those positions of power. Do you remember that shortly before Jesus ascended unto the fire, before Jesus went to the cross, here came James and John's mother. Do you remember? And they said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can my two boys have the right and left hand? Can my two boys have the real positions of power and authority within your kingdom? And the disciples were always arguing who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. And so when Jesus talked about the kingdom here, the disciples had a question. Jesus had risen from the grave. Jesus had went to the cross. But the the idea of the kingdom was still stuck in the minds of those disciples. So they said this, Lord... Are you going to establish your kingdom now? Lord, we're ready for your kingdom. Lord, we're ready to rule and reign with you. Are you going to establish your kingdom at this time? Now, folks, we're often like these disciples as well. We know that the Bible teaches that Jesus is coming back again. Do we not believe that? 
We believe that one day, Jesus, the trump of God is going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise. We that are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord are, being, are going to be caught up to meet Him in the air. We believe that one day, Jesus Christ is coming again. And the Bible has told us to be diligent. The Bible has told us to watch for His coming. But sometimes, if we're not careful... We can get so preoccupied with the second coming of Christ that we forget about living on a practical level. Back in the 1800s, there was a man by the name of Miller. And Miller stated that he knew the exact time that Jesus was going to come. And, and Miller gathered a group of people around him that believed that. They were called Millerites. And they, they, they thought the time was fixing to come, so, so they sold all of their property. Now, now, folks, if I believed Jesus was coming next week, I'd max my credit cards out to the men. I mean, I'm, but, but they sold all of their property, and they met on a hillside in white robes. They met on a hill because they thought they'd get closer to Jesus when he came. And the day came, and the day passed. Back in 1988, there was a gentleman by the name of Edgar Wisnett. And he wrote a book that I still have in my office somewhere, 88 Reasons That Jesus Is Coming Back in 1988. And it was a very compelling book. I read the book and secretly hoped maybe Jesus is going to come back on September 1st, 2nd, or 3rd of 1988. Guess what? He didn't come. But there were a lot of folks that were convinced he was. And see, the thing about it is the Bible teaches... We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We know he's coming, but we don't know when he's coming back. Now, now we have the promise that he's coming back right here in verse 11. This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And I believe when we think about the second coming of Jesus Christ, there are things that we should look forward to. Folks, when we think about Jesus' coming, we ought to look forward to His coming because when, he's come, when He comes, He's going to change us and give us a new body. The Bible says that when Jesus comes, we shall see Him and we shall be like Him. Aren't you looking forward to that time? I'm looking forward to that time when Jesus gives me a new body where I can wake up in the morning and my knees don't hurt. Where I can wake up in the morning and I can actually see without my glasses. I'm looking forward to that time when Jesus gives us a new body without all of sin's limitations and without all of the, 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 the seed of death being there. And we ought to look forward to Jesus' coming. Don't you look forward to a remake? The Bible also teaches that when Jesus comes that we should look forward to His coming because there's going to be a great reunion with those loved ones of ours who have went on before us. Folks, don't you have loved ones who have passed from this life and are with Jesus right now? And I know that we go to the cemetery and sometimes when we get to the cemetery we just feel like this is the end. But it's not the end. Folks, when we bury a loved one it's just a short separation until Jesus comes. And when the trump of God sounds they're coming out of that grave. And when the trump of God sounds we're going to be changed to rise to meet the Lord in the air. And folks, you talk about a great reunion. It's one of the reasons we call it the rapture. There's going to be rapturous joy when we get to glory and see Jesus and see our loved ones who've went on before us and we realize, that, hey, it's not over. It's just beginning. 
One of the reasons we should look forward to Jesus' return. And I believe that we should look forward to Jesus' return because when he comes, we're going to be ushered into the joy and the splendor of heaven. Now folks, heaven is going to be a place of joy. Heaven is going to be a place of praise. When you begin to read the book of Revelation, one of the things you see, it is the noisiest book of the Bible. They're always falling down and, and shouting. They're always falling down and praising Jesus. I tell you what, when we get to heaven, the, you know, the way we worship at Baptist is going to be over. Hmm? Come on, the quietest place in the world is a Baptist church on Sunday, isn't it? When we get to heaven, there's going to be a shouting time. We're going to have just a glorious time when we see all that takes place. And knowing that Jesus Christ is coming back and knowing what it means when he does come back should cause us as, as believers to pray, Lord, even so come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But even though we know he's coming back, listen, we don't know when. Jesus said it was not for us to know the time or the season. Jesus said, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. We can hope and pray for that day to come. But listen, we don't know when it's coming. And if you see a person that says, I know the exact day that Jesus Christ is coming. You either found a liar or found somebody that's totally deluded. We don't know when he's coming. Could he come this afternoon? Absolutely. Could he come a hundred years from now? Absolutely. We just need to live like he's coming back today. But we don't know when. And Jesus has told us, because we don't know when, he's told us what to do until he does come. Now notice verse 8. The disciples said, Lord, Lord, did, did, are, is Jesus coming? Are you going to set up your kingdom? And Jesus said in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. You don't know when he's coming. But in verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. What's Jesus told us to do until he comes? He's told us to be witnesses. He's told us to be witnesses. Now do you know what a witness is? It's a person that's seen something. Not too long ago I, I was involved in a car accident and uh, after we had pulled our vehicles over the policeman came by and he began to question the little girl. said, did you have a light? Did you have a green light? Well, I don't know. I think I did. Did you have an arrow? Well, I really don't know. Ma'am, did you or did you not? And her mother drove up and her mother got out of the car and said, She had a green light! And the little girl looked at her and said, Yes, I guess I did. And then he looked at me and he grinned and said, You had a green light? Yeah, I did. A witness testifies about what they've seen. That's all it is. Have you ever been to court before and been put on the witness stand? You, you put your hand up. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. What did you see? I didn't see nothing. Hmm? We testify about what we've seen. Now, until Jesus comes, 
We are to have a personal witness to a lost world about what Jesus Christ has done for us. Did you know that was the method that Paul used over and over again in the book of Acts? He simply shared the facts about what Jesus had done for him. He said, I was lost and I was on my road to Damascus. I hated Jesus and I hated Christians. And as I was on my road to Damascus, Jesus struck me down with his light. And he said, and I said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus who you persecute. And, and Paul said, I gave my life to the Lord. Very simple, wasn't it? He just personally shared what Christ had done for him. And folks, if you have been saved, you have a personal witness of what Jesus did in your life. Folks, I can remember that on two separate occasions Jesus touched my life as a young person and on both occasions I left the church lost. I left not knowing Christ as Savior. But the third time that Jesus really touched my life, I was at a youth camp in Bog Springs, Arkansas. Can you imagine that? God saved me in Arkansas. Amen, Eva. And, and, that, and that when he, God touched me in Arkansas that night, I remember I didn't go down front. I, I just simply bowed my head and said, Jesus, I know I'm lost and I know you went to the cross to save me from sin. Lord, would you just come into my heart and come into my, my life as Lord and Savior of my life. And, and Jesus saved me and I announced that to the church the next week and their music director announced that he had gotten saved. Isn't that kind of cool? We need saved music directors, don't we? Hmm? It's a very simple testimony. That's what Jesus did. And, and folks, listen. If, if we have a relationship with Christ, others need to know about it. We don't have to be overbearing. We don't have to be obnoxious. Just share in the everyday conversation what Christ has done for us. Now, folks, listen. One of the worst things that have happened to believers down through the years, two things. One, we keep our testimony to ourselves. Or we're so obnoxious that folks wish we had kept our testimony to ourselves. Hmm? We don't have to be that way. Just simply share what Jesus Christ has done for you. God wants us to be a personal witness. Second, until Jesus comes, we're to have a corporate witness through our church. Did you know we witness about Jesus by associating with God's people? Now, folks, I want to ask you a question. How many people in your neighborhood know you went to church this morning or tonight? Every morning when I go to church on Sunday morning, my neighbor, he, he, he's outside and he sees me with my suit on and my Bible and he knows where I'm going. Hmm? How many of y'all are like that? Your neighbors know where you're at tonight. If something were to happen at your home this evening, if there was a break-in, they'd know, yeah, they're at church. You might find them over there at that College Avenue Baptist Church. And, and the fact that you're going to church is a testimony that you love the Lord Jesus Christ. And our love for Jesus is often witnessed by how faithfully we attend that church. Now, that doesn't mean we worship the church. Folks, I'm all here, here to tell you tonight, there's none of you I'm going to worship. And I hope none of you are going to worship me because if you do, you're going to be severely disappointed. Hmm? But we come here to collectively worship the one who died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. The one who was buried and rose again the third day. The one that's coming back again. And we can witness for Jesus by bringing others in here 
to where they can hear the good news about Jesus Christ. I know some of you are saying, Brother Mike, I'm just so afraid to witness. I'm just so afraid to tell somebody about what Jesus has done for me. But I'll bring somebody to church. Good, do it! At least they'll get to hear about Jesus. And then I think until Jesus comes, we're to witness through the mission program of our church. Now folks, listen. Missions is more than just giving money. When I was a kid, they'd talk about missions. You know what I thought missions was? I thought missions was that big piggy bank up there on the front thing. Had missions on it, we put our money in it. Missions is more than that. That money that we give to missions is used to fund someone to go share with people we cannot go to. That's the idea here. Listen, we're, we're, we're very finite beings. We can only be in one place at one time, can't we? Not only that, most of us have a difficult time with the English language, much less learning another language, isn't it? Hmm? And most of us are so locked into our culture, we'd have a hard time trying to, to, to adapt to a new culture. And yet we can, we can pool our money and we can use that to send someone who's been called to go to a foreign country to where they can tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we can actually have a part in seeing those souls overseas come to a saving relationship with Christ. I believe also... Being a part of a missionary church is praying for that person who's on a field where we can't be at. Dear friends, have you ever, how many of y'all been to a foreign country lately? You ought to really appreciate America. Hmm? And when you see what some of our missionaries have to go through, we ought to be on our knees praying for those people on a daily basis. See, until Jesus comes, we're to have a witness to a world right here in Leveland, right here in Texas, right here in the United States, throughout the world, sharing the good news of Christ with others. And Jesus has promised as we have that witness, He says, I'll give you power. Now folks, receiving that power is not automatic. Receiving that power calls for us to pray. You know what these disciples did in the book of Acts? Jesus left after 40 days. And after he ascended unto the Father, it was 10 days till the day of Pentecost. Now on the day of Pentecost, Jesus had promised he was going to pour out his spirit upon them. So you know what they did for the next 10 days? They didn't tour Jerusalem. They didn't have an eating meeting. For the next 10 days, those disciples met and they gathered together and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And after 10 days of prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit fell. Now do you realize that in the New Testament when the powerless disciples couldn't cast out a demon, they came to Jesus and said, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said, the reason that you can't do that, the reason that, that we experience power is only through prayer. My dear friend, soul winning power is found in the prayer closet. It's not found in organization. It's not found in how wonderfully we preach. It's not found in... in, in in some kind of psychology we use on lost people, the power of God that falls, that saves those that are lost, is acquired through prayer. 
Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. And then I believe that receiving prayer, uh, power calls for obedience. Jesus said, I'm going to give you power for a reason. What was the reason? To be witnesses. I'll give you power to be witnesses. Now, if we refuse to be obedient, and if we refuse to be an, a witness, why in the world would he want to give us any power? Hmm? He won't. But when God's power falls, notice what happens. When God's power falls, dear friends, his people are given boldness to witness. Peter, after the day of Pentecost, 50 days earlier, he had denied even knowing Jesus. But when he got filled with the Holy Spirit, listen, he had the boldness to stand up in front of the very people who had crucified Christ and say, you have crucified the Lord of glory. You need to repent and turn to Jesus. Where did he get that power? He got it through the Holy Spirit. When God's, people are, uh, when God's uh, power falls, people are also given the words to speak. One of, one of the things about being a preacher, when I first surrendered to preach, my grandfather, who was lost and died lost, had a funny idea about preaching. And of course, I was just a young man, and I didn't know. And he told me this. He said, Mike, you don't have to pray. You don't have to study. If you've really been called to preach, just get up there behind that pulpit, and God will fill your mouth. And I tried that once. And he filled my mouth for about three minutes of hot air. But I tell you what will happen when you study the Word of God and when you pray and when you get filled with prayer and when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a person's life, He will give you a message to share. He will give you the words that need to be shared. That's what happens when God gets a hold of us. And when God's power falls, the lost are convicted and brought to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks, have you ever been in a service and maybe the preacher didn't preach everything that, that, that was just homiletically correct? Maybe he didn't use the best illustrations in the world. Maybe he butchered the king's English. But when he gave the invitation and the Holy Spirit fell, souls came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because, folks, it's not of us. It's of Him. Now, dear friends, until Jesus comes, He wants us to be witnesses. And with His power, we can see lives changed. Why are you here tonight? Because somewhere down the line, the Holy Spirit got a hold of you and changed your life, didn't He? Hmm? How many of you were like I am and you were not raised in a Christian home? But y'all are here. Why? Because God got a hold of you, didn't he? And God can do that supernaturally, can he? How many of you were raised in a Christian home? Hmm? And God even had a harder time with some of you, right? <laughs> but he touched you and he drew you. Because folks, when you, when you hear the witness of Jesus and the power of God, he can literally change a life. And that's what we're to do is to take the life-changing message, simple message about Jesus, and until Jesus comes, shares it with, share it with others so that when he does come, folks go with us. Did you realize this, that when Jesus comes, we're not taking this building with us? 
That's right. This building stays behind. When Jesus comes, did you know you're not taking your bank account with you? When Jesus comes, you're not taking your car with you. When Jesus comes, we're not taking our credit card debt with us. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> when Jesus comes, the only thing we're going to be able to take with us are the people that we've shared the gospel with. And that's what Jesus has told us to do. Be a witness, and if you're a witness, I'll empower you to lead others to Christ.